Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, better, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I retired at the age of 41 to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the marketplace, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our gold and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Today I'm joined by my dear friend Jamie Little. Jamie spent 13 years at ESPN ABC as a reporter for NASCAR, IndyCar Series, Winter X Games, and Summer X Games telecast. She joined Fox NASCAR in 2015 for its 15th season. In 2013, she released her first book, Essential Car Care for Women, and has worked the red carpet for the ESPYs. The popular racing video game MX World Tour featuring Jamie Little bears her name and likeness. She has also held cameo roles in the feature films Fantastic Four and Supercross. Jamie joined me in the studio today where we had a beautiful conversation about forgiveness, her complicated relationship with her father, her ascension in a male-dominated field such as motorsports reporting, and how hashtag mom guilt is real. Let's dig in. I am here today in Las Vegas with Jamie Little, my dear friend and total badass. That's how I refer to you all the time. Thank you for being here. It's great to be here. I, I like that. I'll take badass, especially as I get older. It sounds so cool. Right? Well, it's funny. So Jamie and I used to be neighbors way back in the day, and we've taken a few trips together. And she can fix anything, and I can grow anything. So if you ever, like, if there's, I've said, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, like, if we find each other, we'll be okay. Because you can handle any machinery issues, and like I can grow our food. <laughs> I feel like we'll be all right. We could do that, and we know how to have fun at the same time. That's and right. We can raise the kids if they're stuck out there in the apocalypse. You know, we That's can right. we could do it all. We'll figure it out. I love it. I love it. Um, one of the things I love about Jamie is that um, she's helped me as a friend, as a confidant, as and I, I was telling a friend recently, I'm like, you know, I had all of these amazing friends here in Las Vegas. I'm so happy for you when you decided to move to Indiana because I knew it was closer to your husband's family. You were going to have horses, which you love, and closer mm-hmm. to your job with Indy. Um, so I know that that was a really great thing for you, but I miss you. Oh, I know. I miss you too. But the great thing about it is it's Vegas and my family's still here. So I come back all the time. So we get to catch up. But yes, living in Indiana, people always ask me like, what's it like? Well, it's complete opposite of living here. I mean, there's things I miss about Las Vegas, but there's great things about Indiana. And it is the family atmosphere there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Everybody seems to have kids and the public school system is amazing. Um, so it, it really has been great. And like you said, there's like farms down the street. We go buy our meat from a farm and our vegetables, like they grow it right there and horses all around. That's, I love that. And I really missed it about Vegas, but I mean, the beauty here, the beauty of the desert and Red Rock Canyon, and there's so many things, the great weather here, the sunshine all the time. Right. I've seen pictures of you like, very bundled up. Yes. In gray <laughs> yeah. skies. It gets gray for a while. And that's hard for me. It is an emotional thing. I get what they say about right. Seattle and places that that are gray all the time. I mean, it does wear on you and and I notice it affecting my Mm -hmm. outlook on things every day. Yeah. Well, that's funny to me because you go from that to a very fast paced 
job yeah. <laughs> where you are on the road. And I'm sure that the, the move has actually helped you as far as the commute is concerned. But you're on the road most of the year covering NASCAR, Indianapolis. Um, are, you, are you still doing X Games? Not doing X Games anymore. I did that, gosh, for 13 years or so and um, and did IndyCar for so many years, covered the Indy 500 for 11 years. And now I don't cover IndyCar anymore, but I live there and that's my home. So that is fun. There's a lot of racing tie-ins. Got we it. get, um, you know, a lot of our friends are there. And like you mentioned, my, my husband's family is there. They're all in racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. But yes, it's, um, it's all NASCAR all the time. I travel a ton. And that is nice. I could be at home in Indianapolis. My flights aren't as long now. I mean, for so many years, I don't know, 14, 15 years I traveled from Vegas and most races are east of the Mississippi. So it makes for a lot of travel, but I never thought anything of it. It's well, it was just your what life. I always did. Yeah, it yeah. was what you did. And and everyone and your husband, Cody, he's so supportive and loving and yes. takes care of the kids and just you know that you're in good they're in good hands when you're on the road. Yes. So you don't even have to think about it. Definitely. I um Jamie wrote a letter for my book that recently came out, Lore, and we've sat down and done interviews in the past, and one of the things that I really love about Jamie is um, she's absolutely 100% a girl's girl, but she works in a male-dominated industry, mm-hmm. and I love your story of how you kind of came up through the industry. We've talked about your um, tra- trademark ponytail. <laughs> yeah. So Jamie, for the longest time, uh, has had her hair in a ponytail, and we talked about the fact that that was – out of necessity. It wasn't necessarily a style decision. Can you talk a little bit about your trademark ponytail and how your career has advanced to the way we see you on TV today? Yeah, it's um, it's funny. You know, people have commented about my ponytail, like, why don't you wear your hair down? It's like, because I work outside. I work around racing. The last thing I want is my hair blowing in my face when I'm reporting on something. I want people to take me seriously. And I feel like when you see a woman who's standing there dressed up and her hair's blowing in her face and she's at a racetrack, it just doesn't go together. And to me, there's just, you kind of lose that credibility. So you need to dress for the occasion. And um, which I always find it strange that women will wear stilettos on the sidelines of a football game. Like it just doesn't go together. You know, you have to dress for the occasion to be taken seriously. And the ponytail started when I was a little girl. I just was always a tomboy, always wanted to play on anything with a motor. And I rode horses and it just wasn't okay with me to have my hair down. It just was a nuisance, yet I never wanted to have short hair. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be the girl, but the ponytail was just always a thing. And it's just carried through my whole career. And um, there's even a Twitter handle that's uh, Jamie Little's Ponytail. <laughs> I didn't and know that. The guy is, he is hilarious. He's so quick witted. But um, when that came out, I was like, oh, maybe I've done something with my career. <laughs> that's really, your ponytail is well known. Yes. Well, and I love because we dug deep into the conversation about being taken seriously in, in a male dominated field, right? And how for a long time you didn't want to be seen as the pretty girl. Yeah. You wanted to be um, the person where they, they looked at you and they saw a very well qualified qualified reporter. You knew your stuff. Your memory is ridiculous. I've watched you stand in front of a camera and the way you're able to spout stats and understand what drivers wear and what's going on and weather conditions and and all of those things. Um, And I I remember you saying that it was once you, um, I think it was when you got the job at Fox and became a mom um, and you started to receive some accolades for your work you were able then to kind of step more into the feminine side of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because one of the things I've noticed is that we have a tendency as women sometimes to masculinize ourselves to be seen for our brains 
before we're willing to actually show that feminine side of ourselves. And it seems like at Fox, they have just completely embraced the full spectrum of Jamie and yeah. given you the ability to choose your own clothes, do whatever you want to do on air. And I'm, I'm watching you wear dresses and <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's not in a fire suit anymore. Yes. And when I get to do the studio stuff, yes, I can wear, I make sure I wear dresses because mm-hmm. I don't get to wear that when I'm at the racetrack. So it's so different. And, you know, not that ESPN wasn't like all embracing like that of women or, or being my Myself. It's just they had they they saw it as we need to wear fire suits, we need to look professional, we mm-hmm. need to look uniform. They just that's the way they were. We were there to cover the story, and that was how they operated, and that was fine. That's all I knew. Um, but then I go to Fox, and they're like, "We will never make you wear a fire suit. You dress the way you want. If you want to wear logos that say Fox Sports, great. If you don't, mm-hmm. that's great too." And they just let you be you. And it's not, it's it's about covering the sport, but it's also about the personalities covering the sport. Right. So that is what makes Fox Sports different as a whole, whether it's football or NASCAR. It's it's about the personalities that are covering it as well. And um, they just, I had to find myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I told people. All of a sudden, I shed this fire suit. And it's like, okay, who am I on air? Am I able to be completely who I am? Can I wear like this blinged out necklace just mm-hmm. to be fun and, and be feminine? And I did. And it was great. And, you know, there are times I, I've I've tested the water with this that, you know, there's some women out there in TV who they get a lot of this not negative feedback, but those the sexist comments and those sure. things. You get it more the the more feminine you dress. Mm. And if I wear, you know, like a, a lower shirt, not revealing, but just like a lower cut or or it's a bright color or it's really fitted, I'll get a comment that's just kind of sexist. And I realize that it has a lot to do with the way that you come across on TV, that it could put a woman off. She could be like, why are you wearing a necklace like that? You're covering racing that has nothing to do with anything. That makes me so sad, though. Like, because I, you know, I have several friends in media and you guys are absolutely watched for the way you dress and the way Mm -hmm. you show up. They pay attention to everything. Um, I've seen the comments. We have mutual friend Jessica Moore. Like, I've seen the comments when, as she's become a new mother, people calling her brave because she's not wearing makeup on on Twitter (laughs) all of a sudden, you know? The things that they, the public thinks that they have access to and that they can say yeah. about what you wear and what you do. And to me, it's more like it's unconscious, right? It's people watching TV. And that's so sad that if, if you look more like a woman, they're going to give you, there's going to be a sexist remark, but it's actually, you are a woman. You are, you do like to wear yeah. the blinged out necklace. You do like to, you know, dress yeah. up. And um, unfortunately, I just think it's one of those things that it's, it's going to be tough to, to break yeah, and it, it is nice. I always said if I don't have comments about what I'm wearing or what I look like, that's great. Then I did my job because they're obviously listening to what I'm saying. Right. But at the same time, it, this whole process has been an evolution for me. You know, when from I look back at myself starting out covering Supercross when I was like 19 and 20, doing everything I could just to interview the top riders. And I'm wearing a turtleneck and like mom jeans and my hair's pulled back. And I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to be taken seriously. Just right. don't, don't see me as like this sexy girl and you know it's been an evolution to be okay with it and I always tell people um Danica Patrick Mm -hmm. to me you know like you mentioned so many women that are on TV or they're in um you know some sort of powerful position that they feel like they have to masculinize themselves to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. well you see that in a lot of female race car drivers or female broadcasters of racing that they feel like they have to be more like the men and look like them so they don't care about their weight or they don't wear makeup or they keep their hair 
hair down and all those things. Well, then Danica Patrick comes along and she's in these magazines and bathing suits with her fire suit coming off. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> Do you know, it, like, sister? Yeah. Yes, because she could back it up. She right. wasn't Anna Kornikova. You know, maybe there are people that want to say that now just because she didn't win in NASCAR, but she was able to do it all, back it up in a race car, do something that no other woman was doing or had done before her, but she was embracing wearing makeup, getting dressed up, doing the red carpet. Mm -hmm. Like she was able to do it all. And I always looked up to that and like, man, if she can do it, she's proving it's capable, then I can. I'm going to be who I am on the air and wear what I want, say what I want, because I'm already proven in in my line of work. Yeah. And it's such an interesting, I mean, it's true. I, we look at it as I've proven myself and now I can do the things. Right. You know, in my career, it was a corporate career. So I was dressing in the suits. And what I used to call my power bitch, Shinyon, like the <laughs> hair pulled back with the fake glasses on so that I could like walk into a room and have power. And I'd wear high heels because I needed, I'm short. So I needed to establish some type of presence. And it wasn't until after I had my daughter and I'd had some significant success that I was like, look, (laughs) I'm going to wear dresses. I'm done with these suits. I'm done with, you know, I'm going to wear my hair down today. I'm going to wear a little bit more makeup because I've proven myself. I hope we get to a place in time where it doesn't necessarily feel like that as a woman. Um, But I also, I'm actually very good friends with our local um, here in Las Vegas. She's a captain of our Northwest Area Command. And she is a badass cop lady, right? And then I see her at events when she's speaking and she's like gowns and makeup and beautiful high heels. And she's like, I don't get to wear these things. So it's just like amazing to see like that feminine side of of women who have to masculinize themselves or feel like they've had to in order to get through um, in, in the corporate environment. And when I wrote my book on masculinization... So I wrote the book, Lore, but in the one chapter on masculinization versus sexualization, I thought about you a lot. I actually quoted you quite a bit because, like, I felt like you and I, between your very seriously male-dominated career and then mine on the corporate side, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of, like, gems, little things that people could take away because, you know, my goal is to get girls to the place in their careers when they're stepping in the next generation. They don't feel like they have to prove as much in order to be themselves. Right. You have to work as hard. I don't want that, you know, to be misconstrued that you can just go in there and get through because, hey, I'm female and I can do whatever I want now because I feel like there is going to be that kind of push Mm -hmm. in that next generation. But if you work hard and you belong there, you can do whatever you want and be who you are, just like men have always been able to. But that doesn't give you the the free license to be a slob or, you know, you have to take it seriously. But I hope that we can get to that point. And I hope that people like us Mm -hmm. can motivate that next generation to say, yeah, I can be that woman. I could be who I am. I don't need to try to be someone else or try to be like the men to be taken seriously. Yeah. And that's one thing that I I know the millennials get a really bad rap about being an entitled generation. I don't necessarily believe that. And Gen Z is coming next. And I think that's that's really what it is, is most people are like, if you work hard and you're smart and you just put the effort and the grit in, Mm-hmm. you're going to go well, like do well in life as long as you're aware also of your surroundings and, and the stories that come before you, right? Like right. you have to really kind of be aware of that. One of the things that you shared in your letter to your younger self, and we talked about extensively in the interview that we did, uh, was your relationship with your father and how that affected you as a girl, um, your desire to be accepted and shown respect by men, um, and how it's transitioned from your youth to today because lots has changed. 
Um, tell me about that. Yeah, so my dad um, and my mom got divorced at five, and I was never really close with him. He didn't raise me at all and didn't help support me financially or anything, but he was always kind of in the picture, you know. I would always hear from him, and um, we just kind of had that kind of relationship growing up, and uh, he was a musician, so he traveled around a lot, but I was raised by a single mom, no other, you know, I'm only child, and mm-hmm. um, which is another reason why it's ironic that I fell in love with racing and motors and just always had I mean since I was a little girl the first time I ever sat on a motorcycle with my real dad it was like I still remember the smell it was just so impactful for me but um so I I always loved that and it was it was so sad to me always it still is to me that uh, of all people I didn't have a dad around to like help me learn the inner workings the mechanics my dad was a big Harley guy like to have him there to hold my hand through some of these things and learn more about racing or more about dirt bikes or things that dads teach their kids. I didn't have that. So I had to learn on my own, but the one I had such a powerful mom and I didn't feel the loss of a dad, you know, there until later, maybe there are some things that I realized, gosh, it would have been nice to have that kind of impact by a a man. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I think it was a great thing because it I did strive somehow to fill that void by finding a male dominated world. Mm -hmm. I've always just found myself around guys. I played with boys when I was little, like all the time. I just I I felt a connection to that. And, and maybe it was because I was searching for that validity that searching for that approval from men because I didn't have it from my dad. I never felt like I was good enough because if I was he'd be in my life, right? right. Um, so it's, you know, it's crazy how life works. But here I'm 40 now. And um, my dad was living in a trailer just down on the world. That's just the decisions he made in his life. And I've supported him in dif- different ways financially for all these years. And um, the one person who took care of him and did everything, she suddenly died. And here he is left on his own, starts going downhill. I'm getting phone calls and things aren't measuring up. So long story short, I or I went to Carson City and I packed him up and him and his dog came to Indianapolis, put him in memory care. Turns out he has Alzheimer's and I'm the only thing he has in the world. And so now we have a third dog, which is great. That's the benefit in this whole thing. But um, it's it's really interesting now. So he lives in Indianapolis. I'm seeing him more now than I've seen him my whole life, mm-hmm. but he has Alzheimer's. So he, of course, knows who I am. He hasn't gotten to that point yet, but I'm kind of learning about this man it, at this time and in, in this space. It's really ironic. And I look back on it and I will be appreciative one day when he's no longer here. But you know, it, it's just weird how life is. I just feel like it was something that's been put on my lap and it's not for me to judge and say, well, he wasn't there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all he has. So I'm taking care of him and we're kind of in this new space that we never were. Yeah. I remember you referring to it at one point in time as God's work. Yeah. And finding semblance of faith through the whole process of yeah. of working through family issues and, and that trip. I, it had to be almost... Um, overwhelming at times yeah. to, to you're walking into the past right you're taking a trip almost like a pilgrimage to pick up a man that hasn't really been there for you yeah. and bring him back to take care of him and I have personal experience with Alzheimer's and it's a it's a tough disease it's yeah. especially as they start to decline how has it changed your relationship with faith or even with yourself as a mom as you look at your kids um, as you're 
piecing together this relationship with him. Yeah, I, I think that it's a big lesson in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't hold a grudge. I look at a lot of younger kids coming up that may blame a parent because they didn't give them everything that they wanted or they weren't in their life like they should be. And it's like, to me, all you're doing is allowing them to control your life as you move on and get older. But you can't keep blaming other people or other things. Your life is yours. So that's kind of how I've always looked at it. I can't let this one person continue to impact my life in a negative way. I just choose now to do the right thing as a human being and take care of him and call it God's work. But I had to forgive, Mm -hmm. you know, his choices in life and his choice was not me. And, um, and I feel good about that. And one day when I bury him, I will feel better about myself and my kids will have had that relationship with the man who was blood to them. Um, I bring them to see him in, in his memory care, and mm-hmm. it brightens his world beyond belief. Like, I see this smile and the way that the kids interact with them. It's They're going to have a completely different memory of him. Totally. Yeah. And to have those pictures and, and the memory that they w- they had some kind of relationship that they never did before, um, I think it's just it's a lesson in forgiveness and moving on and just doing the right thing as a human. It's As you're talking, it's taking me – so my mother, of course, you and I have had conversations about this. My mother is – um, an alcoholic who's had issues with addiction my entire life. And um, she's recently started to have issues with her health. And it's it's interesting because I so much believe that you're away from them longer than you're with them. And in your case, he wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. So you have to unwind their poor choices and their bad decisions from your own life rather than sitting in a victim kind of blame mentality where why didn't they choose me? And it's funny because you can say that out loud. But I remember the day Olivia was born, holding her in my arms and telling her, I will always choose you. Because that's the one thing I never felt. I felt my mom made a lot of choices, but she never chose me in the course of her mm-hmm. life. And then as she became ill, um, my family, my sister, my brother-in-law and I started finding ways that we could help her. I can't help you emotionally. I can't help you mentally um, or with a relationship. I can help you financially, mm-hmm. right? Here are some things that I can do in order to make sure that you're okay and you're comfortable and you have a working car and you have some mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting. And the one thing that I, w- I love is when I do talk to um, adult children of alcoholics or adult children of, of whose parents have, have left them or betrayed them or um, hurt them in some way, um, is realizing you can't really have – greater expectations for someone who's shown you that they can't mm-hmm. they can't hit that bar right like mm-hmm. they've shown you time and time again and I think it's I thought it was fascinating that in in our 40s we're like oh mm-hmm. okay <laughs> I can't have an expectation of you if you've never once shown me that you can do better than this yeah. um and you know you sometimes have to recreate that relationship and almost like reparent yourself yeah. And get to a place where you're like, I'm okay without. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, not having him around and the choices he made kind of impacted me in a way that I knew that when I did marry, I knew in my heart what to look for in a human, for a dad, for my parents, a father that was never going to lead their children or choose somebody else over our children. And maybe that's why I took a little longer to get married. I, I, met Cody at 30. We got married at 32 and I had my kids at 34 and 38. So I did everything a little bit later and it's, um, you know, 
thinking back on that, when I moved my dad into this place, I was just there last week, and we only have a few belongings that we brought for him. But he has this box, and it has, like, special things in there. And my wedding invitation is in there. Really? Of course he never came to my wedding. He never but came he to see that. me. He kept it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's just, like, I look at things like that. He missed so many opportunities in my life and it just makes you wonder like what goes through his head now you know especially knowing that in the end I'm the only thing that he has when um I I know you told me recently he also gave you a ring was that your yes that was his wife's gosh was it her um it it was his wedding band from my mom's and his marriage and he got in a bad motorcycle accident and almost lost his his uh, last wife and they had to cut it off of his finger and he gave it to me and I've kept it Mm -hmm. it's just it was a symbol of my parents like if they he hasn't been a father to me but if I didn't have them if they hadn't gotten together I wouldn't have this life so there is that that love for my parent no matter what kind of parent he was. It's interesting. I was talking about this recently that DNA is an interesting thing. We look at relationships and we're like, oh, this is a toxic relationship or this friendship needs to be kind of cut away from. But then when there's DNA shared, no matter what happens in life, I I just recently had it. We did an interview with Dr. Mel, um, Melanie Ross Mills, and she's a relationship expert and she was talking about family and how sometimes we have to redraw boundaries and recognize the expectations that we have of them they can't meet. But DNA, there's something about sharing cells and, and blood that keeps them in that place where you can create boundaries, but you're still tied to them. Yes, and the stuff that you deal with and you do for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you too, speaking of, of relationships and friendships, um, we've talked about friendships and one of the pieces of advice that you've given Um, your younger self that I've had several people share Mm -hmm. was talking about selecting friends that are good for you and Mm -hmm. trimming the fat and making sure that you keep your circle tight. And I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that, what your friendships look like today and how it is you bring those people into your life who support you the most. Yeah. I I mean, I've always been such an independent person and it's, I was go-getter, charge, charge, charge. I put the blinders on. I don't get too wrapped up in, in having all these friends or going out. I've just never been that type of person. So it's always been kind of easy for me. And I think being an only child too, to trim the fat. And I've always said that that's kind of been the key to my, my personal happiness. Mm-hmm. I think I don't keep people in my life just to keep them in there. Um, I don't keep, um, anything really. I, if somebody's toxic or they're not my type of person, I, let them go. I, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you keep your, your group tight and I have this nice group of women and you guys live all over the country. Yep. I have a couple that live in Indianapolis now, but, and they're, you're all so unique. And mm-hmm. that's, what's so fun about girlfriends and, and people that you choose to be in your kind of circle and in your life. Um, and those are usually people that have been there a long time, you know, and the friendships that grow and that relationship has to be beneficial to you. Mm -hmm. You can't have people that are energy suckers, you know, that's something that I can recognize in somebody. I don't get anything out of you. All you do is take from me. There's nothing in it for me. So cut it. Right. Absolutely. So that's always been, I think something I've gone by, um, 
not really even knowing that I did that until you and I really talked about it. And, and that is, I think, something important for people to do. It's one of the things I learned, I think, as I got to know you and Jessica. So we all kind of became friends and very, you know, mm-hmm. you and I met and then you introduced me to Jessica. Jessica and I were both unhinging ourselves from previous relationships. <laughs> yeah. And Jamie so lovingly let us stay <laughs> at different periods of time in her casita as yeah. we were moving from, you know, party of two to party of one. And um, I, I teased her that she had a ha- halfway house for the heartbroken for a little while. Um, her husband, very kindly, as I was going through my divorce, she drove by my house one day. I think it was like it was in April. And yes. She calls me and, and says, is that your Christmas tree I see through your window? And I was like, yes, it is. She's like, I'm going to send Cody over. And he he took it down for me. So you guys definitely you took care of me during one of the most difficult so times of my life. It was hilarious, though, because I had a ton of glitter on that Christmas tree. He and came it- home covered in glitter. I'm like, good thing I knew you were only down the street. Right? Um, but I think it's one of the things that I learned from, from you and from Jessica, because I was transitioning out a very hard time in my life. And all of a sudden, these very strong women who ha- who taught me what it was to have boundaries and good friendships. Because I was kind of, at the same time I was going through the, uh, my divorce, I also had had a friendship that, um, a long-term friendship that I had to walk away from um, because it was toxic and there had been some manipulation. And it was kind of stepping back and going, oh, these are the women that I need in my life. And it's kind of funny because I think as you go through certain life events and, and certain things kind of leave your life or you're building into the new, different people come into your life. Yes. And you recognize their strength. And, you know, I think of you and Jessica as like my tribe. You are <laughs> the women that are across the country, right? And we don't get to see each other very much. But there are the stolen away moments and the text messages and the things like that where you're like, these are the people that get me who I know love me and are there for me. They don't hear from me for a while. They understand I'm simply busy. And but the, the, the care is still there. So and the, and the relationships are easy. And that's yes. how they should be. They make you feel good about yourself. And they're uplifting. And when you get together, it's it's meaningful. There's mm-hmm. no drama. I mean, I'm just not a drama person. Right. You know, I, I am very in touch with my feminine side. But I'm also I think there's part of my DNA that is masculine, mm-hmm. because I think sometimes like a man in a no no bullshit. Yeah. I mean, and I just, I, and that's part of the trimming the fat thing that I don't keep people in my life for drama. I cannot yeah. take drama. So women and relationships, whether, I mean, I guess it, men too, you just have those positive people that when you get together, you just catch up and you feel mm-hmm. good about yourself. You feel good about life and you leave motivated and excited. Yeah. That's how relationships should be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was just thinking as you were talking, because Jamie, when she talks about her masculine side, do you remember <laughs> there's a couple of times when we've travel together and I don't have to worry about anything because you're like I've got it all like I've got the rental car here's when you need to start packing I'm moving all the I try packs. not to be a control freak no it's control not freak. a control no. it's appreciated from the people who are like especially like when you're running 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 yeah and I'm like I've gone on vacations before people are like what do you want to do now what do you want to do now what do you and I'm just like I make decisions every day of my life you take it you Show take it if I trust you you want to drive great you want to get the car great yeah. like I totally um, and that's one of the things too I liked about when we would go on our little trips they were almost like decompressing right so you come together and you talk and you have glasses of wine and you know talk about the future Um, and there was never gossip it's always like let's talk about the things that we're building or our families that we're creating or yes exactly whatever those look like being a mom the hardest thing in the world yes and now (laughs) you have two 
Yes. And what's it like having a little girl? It's crazy. She is the cutest little independent thing. My mom just laughs. We're visiting my mom right now, and both kids are here. She's like, she is a mini you. Mm-hmm. So you are getting a dose of what it was like she to raise you. She loves it. She loves it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my little girl is, she's so sassy, so loving, but independent. Like, I, I already know I'm not going to have to worry about her in the world. I yep. know that she will go after what she wants. She's done it since she was an infant. You yeah. could tell right when she wanted something and when she absolutely didn't want something something and then my son is like the little emotional little clinger like he just loves mommy scared of anything I can't be out of his sight like he's just such a sweet emotional boy I'm worried about the two of them because she's gonna get to a point he better look out (laughs) she's gonna take over oh yeah Olivia's like that too she's very like I've always said she knows who she is and I won't have to worry about her in life um, but she's also, she has a lot of emotions. She's very sensitive. So she's very intelligent, but she's very sensitive. So mm-hmm. sometimes she has a hard time navigating those feelings. That's a really good way to put it. That's exactly how Carter is too. Yeah. And that, that can be challenging. And I think being an only child, I don't really know or understand what it's like to have a sibling to fight with. I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> what do you do? I'm losing my mind every single day between, I mean, like the two kids can have the sweetest moments, but most of the time it's just, they look at each other wrong. It's like one is screaming at the just screaming because the other's looking at him it's it's crazy but I wouldn't want it any other way of course not and I swear I can't so like and there's always stages right you think that you know them and you think that you understand them and then suddenly they go through in a completely different stage and now we're we're going through the stage of like the rolled eyes and the sarcasm and the passive aggressive stuff where it's like I know I'm like oh like makes your mind like just uh, it's it's hard because you're trying to reason with someone who doesn't have the the wherewithal and you're giving them the tools right the one thing I will say is like we talk a lot about emotions and feelings so the other day she got upset about something and she was able to say mommy I'm jealous because of this reason awesome thanks let's talk through it um but I asked her I'm like please be kind to me when you're a teenager because I just I can't handle like I just yeah. as sweet as you are now will you be this sweet when you're a teenager and she's like mom I'll do my best but I hear that's not the way life goes I was like great <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome oh gosh the job of being a parent it it is amazing what I mean I never could have seen it I I was always so career driven my 20s that's all it was about didn't matter where I had to move or the people in my life that I had to leave it was just all about my goal and now that I got there and then I wanted to start a family, it's like, oh, my gosh, the brain just has to split. Yep. But it's better. I, I said from the moment my son was born, I feel like it made me better at my job mm-hmm. because it put life in perspective. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I had a reason. I wasn't just chasing it for me. Yeah. There is a reason that I'm going out there and doing what I'm doing and a, a reason I have to say bye to them every week to travel for three days. It's so funny that you say that because I was literally driving to the studio this morning I, Olivia went back to her dad, and I have been full throttle trying to get stuff done. I'm getting ready to go on a, a trip out of the country. Um, I have got to get all podcasts loaded, emails out. I've got so much to do. And I was thinking about the fact that, like, oh, it must be so much easier, like, before you have kids. But it seems like you found other things to be stressed out about, right? So true. You found other things to be like, oh, I got this. And I, like, you, all, we just live in this whatever. And I stopped myself and I was like, but then I would have no purpose, right? Because there is a difference. It seems like there's almost like a switch that's flipped the moment you have a child and you're like, I am no longer this completely selfish human being. Like I have to create a life for this child. I have to be there for them. I have to nurture them. And I can't imagine 
having done it any other way. And I know there are people, and the one thing I will say, I know that there are people out there who've decided not to have kids, and to them, I'm like, bless. Because I remember when I went through my fertility journey, when I was trying to get pregnant, and it took us five IVF cycles, being jealous of people who would be like, I don't want to be a parent. And I was like, bless the fact that you know that and you embrace that. Like, I think that that's so freeing because I didn't think I could, could become a parent. Yeah. And then once I had, um, once I had Olivia, like the world changed for me. So I think it, it gave me, I think some people come into this world knowing that their purpose is one thing. And for me, I knew I had to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew it I too. I just always knew that it would come a little bit later. I Did had you? Thi- I had things to do. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, my mom was a, a young mom and I love the idea that she was always young and raising me and now I'm still going to have her around for all these years. She's a young grandma and I'm not going to be that way. I'm like, gosh, when I'm when Carter's 40, I'm going to be like in a wheelchair being <laughs> through a hallway somewhere. <laughs> but it was all worth it because I, yeah. I wouldn't change the timing yeah. of life for anything. I like that my daughter gets to know this version of me. I had her when I was 34. And I like that she gets to see this side of me Um, because had I had her younger, she would have seen a lot more struggle and probably a lot more frustration. I think I became a lot more purposeful in my late 30s. And so now it's really cool for her to, you know, she was coming with me to the office when um, I was working in finance and she got to see mom in an executive position, right? She got to see mom in the office and she thought that was really cool. And then when my book came out, she literally tries to find ways to talk about it in front of everyone, even like the cashier at Target. She's like, so mommy, tell me about your book that just came out. Like she plugs me (laughs) in front of people. I'm like, you're so proud of me. And now starting, you know, this new company and some of the projects that we're working on, I get to work from home. And she thinks it's pretty, pretty badass. Like, she's like, Mom, you're really cool. I'm like, thanks, babe. And I, I, so I'm kind of glad that I had her a little bit later. But, you know, I do recognize, too, that there's going to be things at some point in time where, you know, I'll, I won't be that young grandmother for her kids. But yeah, but she, they get to see what it, what life is really all about. And they see us, I think, at our best and not, like you said, struggling and it, it just would have been totally different, I think, having kids younger and I think waiting, there's nothing wrong with it. And that's kind of the new thing, having kids now in your mid to late 30s, even yep. 40s. And I don't see anything wrong with that. You got to do for you first and accomplish your goals because I can't even imagine trying to raise kids Mm-mm. with all these goals on the plate that I wanted to do and things I wanted to accomplish because I don't think I have the brain capacity to split or early, you know, in my early days to split my dedication between the two. Yeah. I wouldn't have found that success. Well, and I think a lot of women share that too. The, mo- the most successful women have, have said like at some point in time, it feels like you have to make a choice. And there's actually an article published and I can't remember who, um, which, which firm it came out of or if it was even a university they were saying a lot of women um, aren't in the c-suite because they have to they feel that they have to make the choice whether or not they're going to pursue career or if they're going to be a mom because that's just the world that we're in right you get to a certain place and you kind of decide do I want to start my family or do I want to go further and then either way you pick you're going to be judged right? You decide that you're going to be this big corporate type and wait to have kids later, you're judged by people. You decide that you're going to have kids now and try to figure it out and balance and have nannies and you're going to be judged by people. And you're going to have mom guilt no matter what. Right. (laughs) Well, and someone asked me, I I did a. um, I mean, if you try to split it, you know, do I want to be a stay-at-home mom now or do I want to have a career and my kids? 
you feel it either way. I'm it's mom guilt is a real thing. And no matter where you are in your career or no matter what you decide to do as a mom and be with your kids 24 seven or you you're away from them three days a week. It's the same. Yeah. It's it's a struggle and you do have to make decisions. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's funny. Um, I was asked at I was at MGM Resorts, they had a conference and someone said, How do you balance being a mom and working? And I just started laughing because I was like, the mom guilt starts the more like the day the child is born. You, it comes into the world and you're like, I'm so sorry. Like you're just <laughs> immediately guilty for you don't even know what yet. And I don't believe in the word balance. I think that it's being present you know when you're a mom and it's being present when you're a partner and it's being present when you're you know on camera or giving a speech or whatever it is it is it's you're exactly right it's giving your all in that moment at that time that's so true you can't be Mm half-assed and and it is hard some days it's hard to be at work when something's going on at home or something happened with one of your kids it's it's hard to put that aside but I've been tested many times in the line of work, whether, you know, it's something that happened, you know, somebody was killed that I have to report on or, oh, wow. or you know, my dog drowned and I have to go on camera and act like everything is fine. You're challenged daily. But when you prove you can do those things, it just makes you stronger. And, you know, I can do this. Yeah. I can handle this situation with my kids and I can walk away and go do a kick-ass job and nobody will ever know the difference. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's key. You don't take... You don't take those things and take it to work with you. Mm-hmm. I think that that shows weakness. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent of showing strength and not weakness. Yeah. I think it's it's so – I try really hard to be super present in each role but also have strong boundaries so that it's like when I leave this role, now I'm, I'm on. I'm mom, right? So if, if work understands I'm with work and now it's mom time and they're kind of reaching out to me, it's, hey, this is Liv's time. I'll reach out to you shortly or I'll get back to you or what have you. Um, I have that flexibility now. Mm-hmm. I didn't always have that flexibility. I think for a long time I was trying to prove myself and I was like, oh, you need me at 11 o'clock at night? I'll pretend that I don't have throw up on my neck mm-hmm. and I'll do the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember I actually got called off of maternity leave because a client wanted to meet with me and I didn't fit into any of my clothes. And I literally had safety pins holding my the back of my skirt together so I could meet with this client over lunch during my maternity leave. And being like, this is ridiculous. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm like, you're, you're trying to pretend like everything's normal. Yeah. And it's so not normal. But there's something so empowering about it when you can uh, yeah. pull it off. Yeah. You know? Well, it's true, too. I think when I, I – one of the things I remember the most was when I was going through my fertility treatments, right? And so I'd have track marks on my arms, right? Oh, like gosh. all these shots and bruises and stuff like that. And I would put on my suit jackets and I'd walk into a meeting like nothing had happened and just being like, you have no idea <laughs> like, what I'm working on right now. Or what I'm feeling like with all these hormones. I know. I want to oh, kill everyone gosh. at the table. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, one of the things I ask everyone and I want to know from you, if you could leave behind any gold words Gold nuggets, wisdom, inspiration, what would they be? I would say, and I always say it to young girls or or young boys who, you know, are trying to figure out life or figure out what they want to do. I always say, find something you're passionate about when you're young, you know, Mm -hmm. and we all have passions or things that really switch that switch for us inside and make you excited about doing it, make you excited to wake up. Find that thing that you're excited about and pursue it. It can become your career. And Mm -hmm. if it becomes your career and you love it that much, it's not work. And that's what I did. I feel like there are so many kids out there where, 
okay, this is what I do in life. I go to high school, I graduate, I go to college. And after college, if I don't figure it out or I don't feel like working, I'm going to become a professional student. I'm going to get a master's. Well, that's just a waste of time and nothing but a waste of money. And it gives you zero motivation to go out there in the world. So if you really can find and tap into what makes you happy, what makes you tick. I loved hanging out with guys who rode dirt bikes. Mm -hmm. And I decided I thought they had such cool stories. I wanted to share it with people. And I realized young, like, well, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to be the person interviewing them and telling their stories, letting them tell their stories to the world. And there weren't other women that I looked at. Like, that was really what motivated me to do it. There are no women in these magazines or on TV that look like me that do this. Yeah. And it can become yours. And I... I just want to encourage people, you don't have to do what somebody else has already done. If you love something, turn it into a job and it, and you're more authentic. Mm-hmm. You save time and you get your jump start on life. I love it. Well, I, take, I mean, take your passion and turn it into a, exactly. a niche. Like find your, I love it. I think it's, um, you've definitely done that. Hearing the stories from when you lucky. had <laughs> horse posters to BMX you know, bikes on your wall. Yes. And um, all of the things that you've managed to accomplish. And I remember one time, and I, you sharing, for the longest time, your hand was in the shot. Yes. Right? So you were kind of behind the scenes, and you asked to be on camera. And that's another thing that I really appreciate about you, is that you ask for what you want. And yes. you don't you don't keep yourself silent and, and dream quietly and wonder how you're going to get there. You have declared to people, I want to be on TV. I want to do this. I want to be this. And I think that that's something for people to also take away is recognize that you have to ask for what you want. You absolutely do. And you can't be afraid to work. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that has set me apart and why I've been able to outlast so many people who wanted to be a broadcaster of racing um, is that I just... I. I try to outwork people. That's mm-hmm. just, you know, I don't think I'm the smartest person out there. I just will outwork them. And my work ethic and the way that I treat people, mm-hmm. those are all things that, I mean, if you know that going into it, it just makes life so much simpler. And yeah. it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to act like you're better than somebody because you were there before and now you're above them. You can't. Yeah. It comes full circle. And and I think that you treat people well and you love what you do and work hard outwork the next person you'll get there and i and you have to ask for it you always have to let your bosses know what you would like next oh i love it ask for it Mm -hmm. that's gonna be like the name of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) ask for what you want yes (laughs) i love it well thank you so much for being here in person in vegas i'm so glad to see your face yes and um thank you for sharing your gold with my listeners yes so good to see you and everything you're doing my girl look at she just (laughs) growing up. I love it. (laughs) Slowly. It's taking a minute, but yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love Jamie's advice to trim the fat, work hard, and ask for the things that you want. Follow her at TV. Living intentionally is where it's at, and if you are anything like me, you get out of bed and reach for your phone. I love to say that I do yoga first thing, but let's be honest, I open my eyes to news and I'm ready to counter that with my own weekly intention journey. I'm inviting you, totally free, from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my girl tribe at JeanetteSchneider.com and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. 
On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your girlfriends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you'd like to get deep in the work with me, pick up my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, now available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.